Welcome to Preservation Maryland's PreserveCast. I'm your host, Nick Redding. Since PreserveCast will be focusing in part on how technology intersects with historic preservation, we decided that it might be a good idea to investigate one of the most talked about technologies of our own time, drones. Specifically, drone photography and videography. In early December, I sat down with Belinda Kilby of Elevated Element to discuss not only the ins and outs of operating drones as a hobbyist, but also how drones, along with other developing technologies like laser scanning and 3D modeling, can be combined to provide unique ways of viewing the past. Full disclosure, Belinda was recently made a board member here at Preservation Maryland, and we've worked with her on a number of projects which we will discuss in the interview. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Belinda. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. Belinda Kilby has been an artist for as long as she can remember. She earned a BFA from Salisbury University and an art education certification from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. This led her to her teaching career with the Baltimore City Public Schools for 10 years. In 2010, she began creating drone aerial photography along with her husband, Terry Kilby. Together, they started Elevated Element, a company that specializes in unmanned aerial imagery. They also teach others about drones through STEM maker camps, speaking and writing books on the topic. Their first title, Drone Art, Baltimore, was the first book shot with unmanned aerial vehicles. The second book is an instructional guide called Make, Getting Started with Drones. Elevated Element is a proven thought leader in the industry, now specializing in processing aerial data for large 2D and 3D interactive maps, and most recently combining aerial cinematography with motion-tracked animated 3D renderings to produce virtual fly-throughs of land development projects. And for our purposes, Elevated Element has also been a proven leader in utilizing drone technology to document historic resources. Today we're joined by Belinda to talk a little bit about the intersection of drones and historic preservation. Hello, Belinda. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you here. So we, we have your background now. We have your education and your career out of the way. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live now? Where, where did you grow up? Right now, I live in Owings Mills, Maryland. Um, when we started the drone venture, we were downtown in Bolton Hill. But uh, when the drones took over our lives, then we moved out to the burbs so we could have a little bit more space. And now that is where our office is um, on South Dolefield in Owings Mills. I grew up pretty much all over. I was uh, originally from West Virginia, and my mom joined the Army. I had a single mom, and then I went to elementary school in Germany. Wow, so you've really been sort of all over the place. Yeah, pretty much. And then middle school led us to Aberdeen, Maryland, of course, Aberdeen Proving Ground. And um, from there, Salisbury University, I was on the extended plan, and then 10 years in Baltimore City Schools and and, and now out in Owings Mills. So I think when most people think of drones, they think of the, the tech side. And, and your husband, Terry, definitely sort of personifies the tech side of, of that world. But you come at this from the artistic side. And is that really sort of what drew you to, to the drone technology? Is that what kind of brought you in? Absolutely. Um, I actually kind of fought technology for the longest time. I was originally a sculptor and a painter, surrealism, hyperrealism, and was always looking for 
the next step, the next innovative thing that someone has not done using traditional fine art methods. My artistic statement really, or vision, um, had a lot to do with travel, the journey um, that this life brings us all, whether it be from uh, the journey of a thought process all the way to um, planetary movement and, and plate tectonics and so forth. So from those early days at, towards the end of 2009, when Terry first started building the unmanned aerial vehicles, I actually saw the vehicle itself as um, a, a method to as an original piece of art that was moving throughout space that was actually creating the art itself. And once we got to the elevated perspective, then um, it offered such a mysterious, unique, um, surreal view that really appealed to me. And it reminded me of all of the important art movements from the past that utilized the bird's eye perspective, right. such as Japanese prints and Aborigines art and Impressionism. And immediately I knew that we needed to be able to carry a better camera. So I, I would say in the interest of full disclosure to, to listeners of PreserveCast, Preservation Maryland has had a pretty great relationship with Elevated Element. And I would say Elevated Element is a, is a unique uh, company for a variety of different reasons. But I think one of them is what you just outlined that you know, you're part owner in this business and you come at it from a very different perspective than I think the majority, if not most drone operators do where, I mean, I don't think I've, I've ever heard a drone operator talk about, um, Japanese art as their, uh, the, the, what, what, how they see drones working and, and how they capture the world. And that's, that's a very different perspective. Have you met any other folks? Or do you have, a, is there a big community that looks at drones as a component of art? Not too many that I'm aware of. Um, most of the aerial photographers that I know um, either came from it from a, a remote controlled type of uh, background or a straight photography background. So to, to that extent, yes, then there is a artistic component in photography, of course. But, you know, I was immediately drawn to the bird's eye perspective because I called myself a surrealist for lack of better term, but that that elevated perspective looking down is is very surreal and, and kind of mysterious and and it was so new. Right. And it, it was really it, another yeah, way to it capture gave, that. It gave you such a unique uh idea of of what maybe maybe what God might be looking at as he was looking down. So right. it's kind of, kind of mysterious, uh, metaphysical. <laughs> so, so that's the art side. Um, but obviously this is a business and it has to be run that way. How long have you guys been in business? You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, how does a drone company stay in business? What is it that you do? Well, it was really tricky for us, us initially. And, and at first it was not a business. It was an art project. It was uh, something to do as a hobby and to create art and to drive around and see the area and the state and from a whole new point of view, of course. And so we, we needed to do something to be able to sustain our efforts, of course. So we did create the book Drone Art Baltimore, and um, that was released in 2013. So um, in 2012, I believe it was, BOPA, Baltimore Office of Promotions and the Arts, mm -hmm. approached us to do an exhibition at the top of the World Trade Center. Um, and that was after the first newspaper article for, in the Baltimore Sun about us. They had seen that and wanted to put on the exhibition. And it was a perfect location at the top of the World Trade Center because, of course, you're looking out 
the panoramic windows there and right. you're seeing exactly what you might see from a drone. And for those listeners not from Baltimore, the World Trade Center in Baltimore uh, is a structure that was built in the 1970s and is in Baltimore's Inner Harbor that some of you may be familiar with down near a lot of attractions. There's a lot of uh, traffic down in that area, a lot of foot traffic down that area. Right. So we had a little bit of time leading up to the exhibition. So we knew that we wanted to build up the portfolio of aerial images more, fine art images, and uh, so that we could create the book and have the book a launch party at the same time as the um, exhibition opening. So the art that we're talking about in the book is, it's a lot of architecture, right? Yes, of course. Uh, architecture and landscape would be probably the number one and number two subject matters in aerial fine art photography. Right. So two things near and dear to every preservationist's heart. Of course, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Great. So you guys have been in business now for, I mean, how long has it actually been a legitimate business that it's been sort of your sole work every day? Well, we both have taken a leap of faith to leave our careers to be able to do this professionally full-time. I've been out of the classroom for three years, and Terry has uh, left his software engineering job um, about a year and a half ago. And the main factor that enabled us to do this commercially full-time was being able to, uh, was basically the regulations to, to enable commercial use for unmanned aerial vehicles. We were one of the first in the state of Maryland to receive the 333 exemption from the FAA, and then more recently, the Part 107 certification, we have acquired that as well. To, so to now that sounds pretty complex. How difficult was that to, to, to get that, those certifications? Right. The 333 is an application process. It's all documented and, and written up. Basically, you have procedural um, policies in your organization where uh, for safe and responsible flight and uh, maintenance, uh, flight logs and operational strategies for your aircraft and um, and each aircraft that you intend to fly with commercially. So this is not, I think, you know, a lot of people think drone and they think they're their crazy uncle who got something for Christmas and, and flew it up, you know, in, in the backyard and right. got it, you know, stuck in a tree <laughs> or something like that. Elevated element is not that. Obviously, flight logs, crazy uncle George probably doesn't have flight logs. Yeah, and, absolutely. And like we take this extremely seriously. There was a huge learning curve to it, and we're learning every single day. There's always new technology and advances in the technology that are coming out basically on a almost daily basis. So and rapidly, speaking so. of the technology, I mean, how many drones does Elevated Element have? Currently, we have probably about a dozen. Wow, uh, different aircraft for very, and these aren't cheap. No, no. I mean, what's an average price on a drone? It depends on the type of aircraft that you're talking right. about, um, every application or purpose for, for the drone would, um, you know, require a different type of aircraft. So video so, versus high def photography short, versus some other type of Sport flying versus infrastructure flying. inspection. The list goes on and on at this right. point. So it's not cheap to get into this field. No, either. no. The average for us, um, at this point, especially with a two-person operation team. So you're talking about dual controllers, dual tablets, um, uh, that type of thing. Um, I'm going to just round it off at 5,000. Wow. So, you know, for the purposes of, of PreserveCast, what's the, what's the intersection with historic preservation? Have you guys gotten involved in historic preservation? Um, Absolutely. We're really 
so excited and honored to be a part of it and to be able to join the past with the future and and cutting edge technology. I'll give you an example. Two of our favorite projects, of course, um, after the devastating flood of Ellicott City, historic Ellicott City, it was, um, you know, just heartbreaking. And so we were able to help assist create a 3D model of historic downtown Ellicott City by um, flying over in an autonomous pattern, grid-like pattern overhead Mm -hmm. um, to capture aerial data. But then we also flew at low elevations Mm -hmm. to be able to get the facades of the buildings. And we were really fortunate to work with Direct Dimensions, who is our neighbor, our business neighbor in Owings Mills. And they're an incredible um, company that is. I think we're probably going to have them on in the future. I hope. I so. hope you do. Our, yeah. Michael Raphael is, is fantastic, and um, they are really the. I like to call them the world's leader, and I truly believe that in um, laser scanning technology. Right. So right. when you can combine terrestrial laser scan data with aerial photogrammetry data, that's when some real magic can happen, and right. you can just get extremely accurate and realistic um, 3D models. Yeah, and Preservation Maryland has been has been lucky. It was sort of a, a leading question. We knew that our Elevated Element was involved in historic preservation, and we were, were pretty involved in that Ellicott City effort. And I, I think it's interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, when you describe what you did, it sounds like it would have taken weeks to do something like that. But you and Terry came out and did it in a half a day, maybe? I mean, that it's obviously a skill set, but the technology goes pretty quick. I mean, you're able to do something like that pretty quick. We scanned almost an entire historic district in the matter of a few hours. That's right. That's right. We did go out one other time after the fact, um, simply because it was a 3D model that we were creating because right. there was process, there's time to process after the initial capturing of the data. So you can't always tell exactly if you were able to capture everything that right. you wanted to on right. the spot. So you need to go back out right. and kind of if fill in If we were doing cinematography or, or, or just regular photography, then we would be able to pop our SD card into the computer and look at it and say, okay, well, let's get this angle, that angle. But um, when you have processing involved, then sometimes we, we really wanted this model to be perfect. Yeah. And so and we did really, go back out and really get a little was. bit more data for that. And uh, if people are interested, you can actually find a fly-through of that 3D model on our website at preservationmaryland.org. When I first saw it, I thought it was a photograph. Yeah, When I walked really. into the office, I, I, I saw the finished process. I said... I was amazed that so it, it was even a impressed model. you. Oh, and you work yeah. in the field, <laughs> yeah. so uh, you know you threw out a term that I know I wasn't familiar with before I met you folks. Um, but it's a term I'm very familiar with now because of some of the work that we've done together um, using it. You talked about photogrammetry. Mm-hmm. So for the the listener who's not accustomed to drones and photography and things like that, what is photogrammetry? Photogrammetry is basically a, on a large scale stitching many digital, high-resolution digital images together to create a, a larger data set of, uh, of either 2D or 3D. A lot of times um, you'll see drone operators create a, a panorama of a landscape where they might just stitch six photos together. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on a larger scale, when you are creating a 2D map or a 3D map, this is very common in mapping, then you will fly in a more strategic method 
to get um, full coverage of an area. So you're with, stitching together a lot. You're, more you're stitching a lot, and it's also a lot of overlap between the images, both um, horizontally and vertically. So now we we worked with Elevated Element, and you and Terry went out and you did photogrammetry at White's Hall, which is the boyhood home of Johns Hopkins um, in Crofton, Maryland, in Anne Arundel County. You know, and that that's something that if you're if listeners are interested, you can find that on our website as well. Um, if you go to our website and you can just search White's Hall and it'll pop right up and you can actually see that. And that's even actually been turned into something that you can print off as a 3D model, which is really sort of the next step of um, architectural documentation. I mean, a lot of documentation and people who are accustomed to it, maybe some of the listeners, um, you know, you're familiar with taking, you know, big photography or doing sketches, but this is really the next level, having a 3D model of a historic building, which is what we did there. How long did that take to do? Um, how many photographs are we talking about in something like that? For that particular subject, Whitehall, um, I believe that there was about 600 photographs taken. And that's just of one, people should understand, that's 600 photographs of one building. Yes. A good size house. It's a good size. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not not your average twenty five hundred square foot, you know, That's suburban right. home, but um, but really phenomenal in, in a in a structure that is you know currently threatened. It it sort of has an uncertain future, um, and we saw tremendous value in documenting something like that using this new technology. It seems to me like drones um, and drone photography hold a lot of promise for preservationists who are interested in documenting historic resources sort of to the next level. But you've also worked with the state of Maryland, not just documenting what's there, but working with them to sort of reconstruct what was there, but no longer is, right? Right, right. So tell, tell us about that project. That's just really interesting. Right. For at least a couple years now, um, State Highway Administration approached us about uh, getting involved with creating 3D models of archaeological sites. For example, uh, Beauview is a slave quarters mm -hmm. that we had the opportunity to do a scan of um, a, a while ago. Um, and, and this is in Crownsville, I think, in, in Anne Arundel County. So for those people listening outside of Maryland, this is pretty close to Annapolis, Maryland. That's right. And it is nearby to uh, Battlegrounds and uh, right. the neighboring um, house there on the Plantation, plantation site, for lack of better, right. you know, description is uh, uh, there's all kinds of rumors that George Washington slept there. and Right. And this is right off of a road, for those not familiar with the area, called the General's Highway. So right. It's, yeah. Right. Pretty, pretty rich in history, this area. Right. So this particular model is of a slave quarters, and it was very unique when it was discovered because um, normally a slave quarters would be a, a rectangular footprint and several families would be residing within that same structure. But because of what was discovered and artifacts and so forth that uh, was discovered on the site, then they, the archaeologists realized that this was unique and that it was a square footprint. It was larger than what a, a, a typical slave quarters would be, and it only housed one family, somebody who was higher in the 
Um, so the hierarchy. Right, right. So, so your role in this, you obviously work with the archaeologists and they kind of provided the background and the history. And then did you actually, you flew the site and then created a digital model within that sort of digital world? Yes, absolutely. So um, there were several scans, several flights, several scans involved in a multi-step process of this recreation, basically, because each area of the archaeological site had to be dug up, documented, filled back in so as that rain and right. so forth would not erode and disrupt the site. Right. And so then each section of the site was basically recreated independently and then put together at the end to um, create the full model and then a digital recreation of what the structure would have looked like in its time was then developed. So obviously there's an expense associated with that. In this case, the State Highway Administration was picking up that bill. Right. But it, it, it occurs to me, just sort of thinking through it, it's got to be a whole lot less cheaper to create a digital model than you know if they were to rebuild this or reconstruct it, right? I mean, we're talking about a fraction of that cost. And you, you have the ability to you know share that with a much wider audience because that's online and people could take a look at that. Right, um, it's very so. engaging, very interactive. That, again, was with... Uh, direct dimensions. And we were actually able to share that finished model and the animation with the descendants of um, the Bowview plantation at the Annapolis Center. And they were using virtual reality headsets to oh, wow. do so a, we've, to we've, a walkthrough through the interior of so the So we've now moved into as well. VR as well. Yes. And yeah. is that sort of the next, I guess, the next step for your work? Are you doing a lot with virtual reality? Will, will that be something... You know, is the average listener going to see VR pretty right. soon? Absolutely. Um, so all the emerging technologies, VR, augmented reality, are being combined to create whole new experiences that are highly engaging and interactive for um, for for users. So for for resources that potentially have been lost or have been damaged, historic resources, this is, you know, you could envision a world and. 20, 30 years where you can almost kind of go through and re-experience these places, but in, in a virtual sense. That's right. We could put a historic structure and return it into its to its former state or the put it in the context of the original environment that it was in. It almost sounds like sci-fi, but it's not, I guess, right? I mean, and, and I suppose if you told someone in the 1940s that you know, we would have full length feature films that were just created digitally and, you know, there was nothing there. They wouldn't believe you. And now it sort of seems like science fiction that we, we're going to do this. We're going to be able to move through these worlds. But you're sort of sitting there matter of factly. Yeah. This is not really astonishing or shocking to you. Obviously, you're going to conferences and seeing this kind of stuff. Oh, that's right. And it's sometimes very difficult to tell what's real and what is not, what's, what's virtual. Right. One more challenge for the preservation community. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but that that also enables viewers to see what is possible for historic structure as well. So um, to be able to virtually redo the roof, right? Or oh, um, right. So you can kind of see what kind of an impact would you have, or or present that as as an option if you were you know a public institution that were was planning on doing A, B, or C to a building. You could show those different options, so people don't just right. have to kind of imagine them. You exactly. can actually visualize it. Wow. So um, if there's a listener out there who, you know, is working with a small organization, a little preservation group, you know, local group or 
maybe they run a historic site or, or, or maybe they work at a, at a higher level in another state and they're interested in, in getting involved with drones. Do you have any, I mean, is there any recommendations? How should, how do they go about doing that? Obviously not everybody can hire elevated element, although we, we wish they could. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if they're, they're located in, in Colorado and they want to do it, what, what are some good things you should think about before getting involved with a drone operator? If you want to do this yourself? No, I mean, well, do you want to do it yourself or do you want to hire someone? What would you recommend? Okay, if you if you wanted to try this yourself, because uh, at this point, drones are very readily accessible um, and there's amazing technology that's packed into these small unmanned aerial vehicles. Sort of consumer-grade right. stuff. Right, right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so to do that, I, I would say definitely start out small, take it slow, Go out to a, a rural area, right. um, get permission from whoever owns the land mm -hmm. or property that you plan to fly so be on. be polite. Right. Um, <laughs> get to know the rules. There's, um, you know, you can go on the FAA website, of course, and, and all of the rules for hobbyists. Definitely you're starting off as a hobbyist. Right. And become familiar with those and, uh, you know, use common courtesy, just right. know, respecting people's uh, environments and and privacy and now if you're if you're thinking about working with a, a firm though is there some i mean how would you how, how can you vet a, a, a firm how do you know that you're working with someone who's a little bit more legitimate than just sort of you know the, the aforementioned crazy uncle right um they should have a portfolio of work okay that you should be able to to review mm -hmm. and and um and then, and then I guess FAA certifications. Are you looking for that as well? Is right, that something that right, should definitely, sort of be standard? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, especially now that the Part One Hundred Seven certification is available for um, commercial use. Then once once you get your pass your test, it's basically you can go to a a community college or a airfield and and take the test. And then in a couple of weeks, you actually get a license in the mail. It's called a certification, though. And so you you could ask to see that and wow. uh, so they can prove. And there's also a, uh, you can go online as well and see they do have right. the certification. Right, okay. Yeah. So a um, couple last questions here for you, real sort of rapid fire stuff. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite building in Maryland? I know it's it's hard, but I mean, you 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 did an entire book of photography, beautiful photography right. of Baltimore. I guess it doesn't have to be Baltimore, but do, do you, did you have a favorite one when you did all that shooting? Yes, uh, I would say Penn Station probably. That yeah. was one that I wanted to get for a long time. Um, and I'm kind of picky with my, I, I, I had a vision in my head of what I wanted it to look like. And this so, is the artistic side. Right, right. Yeah. So of course, one day, finally, the conditions were just right. There was very few people out. It was early in the morning, but the but the umbrellas were open outside, so pops of color, and it's just a, a gorgeous day. And I was able to go directly up to the all of the policemen on site, all the security guards, let them know who we were and what we were doing. And if there were any people in the area, then I approached them as well and let them know what we were doing. And and it, it literally took us about five minutes to get it and. And uh, so that was great. So that's definitely yeah, pretty yeah. high up there, I guess. Yeah, I, I hope to go back and revisit 
Penn Station at Golden Hour with the different Right, and there's a redevelopment project kind of moving forward with Penn Station as well. And so you might have an opportunity to kind of see it as it's being redeveloped at this point. Fantastic, right. And of course, Bromo Seltzer Tower, so. Yeah, everybody loves Bromo. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, So uh, if people wanted to get in touch with Elevated Element, how would they do that? If they're they're based here, you know, in Maryland or they're somewhere in the mid-Atlantic and they have a project that they'd like to have you take a look at, um, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can go to our website. It's www.elevatedelement.com and info at elevatedelement.com is the email address that will go to both Terry and myself. And uh, of course, then we have a Facebook page, Elevated mm-hmm. Element, and Instagram, Elevated Element, and right. so Twitter, you're everywhere. Elevated Element. Yeah. So you're everywhere. Right. So, 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 so there's, there's not, uh, not hard to we're find We're very you. plugged in, so you can find us one way or another for sure. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you here in the studio at PreserveCast. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. You don't need to open a history book to find us. Available online from iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as our website, presmd.org. This is PreserveCast. This podcast was developed under a grant from the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, a unit of the National Park Service. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Milestones Heritage Area and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the National Park Service or the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training. This week's episode was produced and engineered by Ben and Stephen Israel. Our executive producer is Aaron Markovich. Our theme music is performed by the band Pretty Gritty. You can learn more about them at their website, prettygrittymusic.com, on Facebook or on Twitter at PG underscore Pretty Gritty. To learn more about Preservation Maryland or this week's guest, visit preservationmaryland.org. While there, you can check out our blog and learn about what's current in historic preservation. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter at PreservationMD. And of course, a very special thank you to our listeners. Keep preserving.